Hello and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to join us for the program. We could call him the prophet in exile. We could equally call him Ezekiel, the disappointed prophet. For some time now, Dr. Corbett has been exploring the book of Jeremiah. The Old Testament prophet Jeremiah gave God's word to the people, warning them that their disobedience would result in exile. And guess what happened? You got it. They continued in their disobedience and were exiled. Enter Ezekiel, about to become a priest, exiled and robbed of his career path, God had a plan for Ezekiel, which Dr. Corbett is about to unfold. Tonight, an introduction to the book of Ezekiel, the first in a short series on Ezekiel, the prophet in exile. If you're reading through your Bible, and and a few people have come up to me and said, it's my goal to read the entire Bible, and I commend you for that. You'll come to Isaiah. And Isaiah the prophet prophesied during the time when Israel up, up in the north and Judah down in the south, they had two different kings. And, and he said, because these guys have built a golden calf, they refuse to worship at the temple. The prophet Moses said that if you do that, God will spew you out of the land. And this is exactly what happened. And Isaiah foretold of it. They, they, they took them captive and, and took them over to Nineveh, where his capital was. And then at the same time we read that during the reign of King Hezekiah, they came against Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem at that time had the temple and they had at least an inkling of godliness about them. They knew that when times were tough, you could come before the one true God and, and appeal to him. And that's what they did. And so they were dealt with. And, they were, and so uh, what happened was we're now a we're now hundred years later and a hundred years later, We've, we've been setting the stage looking at Jeremiah. And here's Jeremiah prophesying, if you don't turn and repent and come back to God, you're going to be taken out of the land as well, but it won't be the Assyrians, it'll be the Babylonians. And the shock of it was that Babylon was a... Babylon? Who's Babylon? Because Babylon, like there's Nineveh up here, here's Babylon over here, and it was a nothing. It was just a nothing. It wasn't an empire at all. And so Jeremiah sounded like he was on something because this was absurd. Well, of course, it did happen. And it happened when, when Babylon came in, rather than conquer the city, they took most of the gold of the city. And then they took the elite of the city, about 10,000 people they took. But they wanted the intellectuals. They wanted the people who had been educated. They wanted the people who could contribute to the building of the Babylonian Empire. And Ezekiel was a part of that. So when Ezekiel was taken into captivity along with the other 10,000 or so people, uh, he would have been about, about 25 years of age. So a relatively young man. And he would have heard... The prophecies of Jeremiah, who wouldn't have been that much older than him, was still a very young man. Uh, Jeremiah may have been about 30 or so years of age. We, we, we have this background happening here. So, and this is, this is where they're at. Now, the, while the capital, uh, Babylon, is, is there, Ezekiel wasn't there. He was, he, as bad as it was to be to be as we'll see, a priest who was about to undergo his ordination, he was actually in this place that he identifies, the Kibar Canal. Let's see if we can make sense of that. So 
he was among the first of the captives to be taken around about 597 BC. And again, what we're going to read in Ezekiel is so startlingly accurately fulfilled that it was for a long time believed by what's called liberal scholars that Ezekiel must have been written after the events. Well, the, there's a couple of problems with that. We, we know for sure that it was written before the events. And secondly, there is still some amazing stuff in there that wasn't fulfilled even if you say it was written in the second century AD. I, I could not find a map that identified the Kibar Canal. Could not find one. We can only guess. But we do know this, that it was about 200 miles, and I've got the scale there, about 200 miles north of Babylon on the Euphrates River. It was a pokey little nothing place. So I want you to think, you're 25 years of age, you're five years off a public ordination where you are going to be elevated in status from a no one to a someone because you're about to be ordained a priest. They will put the priestly robes on you. They will put the priestly turban on you. And you're about to become someone. And then all of that, all that you've lived for, all of your life is ripped out from under your feet. And you're taken away to a land where you don't know the language. You don't know the food. You don't know the customs. You're not familiar with it. And then you're there with the hope that it's just a bad dream and that any month it'll all be over and you'll be back in your land. That's what you're hoping. And then in Jeremiah 29, when these guys have been there for four years, Jeremiah sends them a letter and he says this, Jeremiah 29. And you probably all know that famous verse, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and give you a hope and a future. And we think it's a lovely fridge magnet. But Jeremiah didn't give it as a fridge magnet for the people living in the 21st century. He gave it to the exiles like Ezekiel who were in the, the, the backside of the desert. They're in this, this part of Babylon hoping that any moment God would deliver them and they'd be restored to the land and this horrible nightmare would be over. Four years into this nightmare, Jeremiah sends this letter from chapter 29 and he says this, build your homes there, plant vineyards. Bless the community where you live. Set your roots down deep because you are going to be there for a long time. And Jeremiah actually says, you will be there for at least 70 years. You can imagine the heart of Ezekiel. He would have sunk. <laughs> what? I was just within the finish line. I was nearly ordained. I was nearly taken from no one to someone. And you're telling me all that's evaporated, Jeremiah? You're telling me it's all gone? Oh, man. You could, you could just see that, that this is a, a guy, you know, we, we could call him the prophet in exile. We could equally call him Ezekiel, subtitle, tag, the disappointed prophet. Because not only does he miss out on being ordained a priest, as was generations before him. He marries someone. 26 years of age and he marries. 
marries the love of his life. And we read in here that God says, now I'm going to use your wife as a prophetic message to the people. Oh, you're going to use my wife as a prophetic statement to the people? How exactly are you going to do that? I'm going to take her life. And you are not to show any mourning for her. See why the disappointed prophet might be a really good tag for this guy? Denied his identity, taken from his homeland, marries the love of his life, and God says, I'm going to take her from you. And you could think, you could think, well, he's had a pretty rough life. That's a pretty horrible book. Yet, no, we're, we're only in the early chapters. Wait to the bit where God says, now I want you to strip naked and lie on your side for hundreds of days. What? Oh, yeah, but while you're doing that, I want you to cook your food over human dung. You want me to what? (laughs) And at that point, we're going to get to this bit in Ezekiel where he goes, God, can I just see you for a minute? Listen. I've put up with this, 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 and this, but I'm drawing the line at dung. So, four years in, he gets the letter from Jeremiah. A year later, he turns 30. How do we know that? Verse 1 tells us. It says, in the 30th year. In the... So he tells us, in the 30th year. What 30th year? His 30th year. Why that significant? Because we read in Numbers that that's when you ordain priests. So in, in his 30th year, And he gives a couple other benchmarks where we can track it, that this is now the fifth year into the exile. It's kind of like turning up for your birthday and no one else turns up. It's like you'd planned everything and it's just such a major letdown. Here I am, 30, that's when I get ordained. That's when I get the priestly turban. That's when I get the priestly robes. This is when I become somebody and it's gone. And he turns up to the birthday party, so to speak, his ordination party. And what he experiences that day is staggering. It is staggering. The number of times I've read Ezekiel 1 and gone, wow. <laughs> this is, I reckon this is one of the biggest wow chapters in all of Scripture. Why? Because what we're about to see is one of the most brilliant sci-fi chapters in all of the bible i mean some pretty sci-fi stuff in there but this is this is avatar eat your heart out this this is star wars i'm yawning at you this is breathtaking stuff as we'll see in a moment in the midst of all this you can imagine being ordained a priest you're charged to care for people you're charged to be a leader you go from being not necessarily responsible to becoming very responsible. And what's one of the major responsibilities of a priest? One of the major responsibilities of a priest, we read in the first five books of the Bible, is to teach God's word. And we see that Ezekiel, in his prophecies, continually refers to the word of God, the law of God. He, had a, he was a priest who had a deep passion for God's law, just like Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a priest too. He had the same passion. So these two young men, and this is why I really like Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. I really like these guys because these were young people. I mean, really young. I mean, prophesying 
Jeremiah prophesying from the age of 13, telling the older generation, you guys are spiritual slackers. You, you, you are compromising. You are people who love the world more than you love God. Imagine a 13-year-old kid doing that today. A 13-year-old kid who said, I'm not going to go the way of the world. I'm not going to be a super spiritual nutter, but I'm genuinely going to pray. Not because my parents tell me to. I want to go to the house of God. Not because I have to, because I want to, because I love God. Do we see any other 12, 13-year-olds that were doing that? Ever read Luke chapter 2? <laughs> Ever read? We get in the early chapters of Luke and there's this 12-year-old kid from Nazahu, Nazareth who's in the temple and he's, he's there because he says he loves his father. This is his father's house and he loves being in his father's house. And here's these young kids, these 12, 13-year-old kids that, that love God. Man, this is inspiring. And you see Ezekiel with a deep passion to make the word of God known. So here in chapter 1, he's turned up for his ordination. He's 30 years of age. There isn't going to be an ordination. And, and within, within just a few years, within six years, ordination would become impossible because there would be no temple. And without a temple, you can't have sacrifices. And without sacrifices, you can't ordain priests because it involves blood. We, we read in the opening verse of this book that, that what... Ezekiel received were visions and they were extraordinary. I, don't, I, I can't think of any other prophet in scripture that received visions like this. These visions were extraordinary. Let, let's see his statement here. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kibar Canal, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. Now, isn't this interesting? Here's a whole group of people. <laughs> He's with them. He begins to see something. They don't. It's kind of like church, isn't it? You can be in a church and with, with people that are like yawning and like, what? And God is speaking to your heart. I've had moments like that. The heavens are opened to you. And here he is. The heavens become open. And this came at a time, and I need to set this up. Why were they in exile? Because Israel's leaders had led Israel, Judah, into ignorance. Ignorance of what? Ignorance of God, ignorance of his word. But that's not all. Ignorance of an entire spiritual realm. These priests walked into the holy place surrounded by all these symbols and the the high priest would go before the ark and on the ark of the covenant there were these two winged creatures that covered the ark of the covenant and when they built the temple which ezekiel would have grown up in and walked out in and around as a little boy they had pictures of these these huge weird creatures and we have some of the the artwork with with a weird creatures etched onto the, the walls of the temple. And you can imagine these kids going, what's that about? I mean, there were, there were palm branches on the door. There were, there were these really weird creatures. And, here's, and I, I suspect that God had given the architects of, 
of this, the designs and the patterns and the artwork, without them even appreciating what he was really doing. You see, there is a spiritual realm we call heaven. And in this heavenly realm, there are creatures more real than us. We often think this is it. This is ultimate reality. It isn't. This is just Shadowland, C.S. Lewis called it. There is an ultimate reality. And if we, were to go into, if we were to have a glimpse into this realm, we would see what some of this artwork was about. We would see, as John on Patmos also saw what Ezekiel saw, we would see billions upon billions upon billions of beings who emanate light who are pointing, focused on the throne where God reigns. And there would be a rumble. The sound is described as continual earthquakes and crashing except crashing waterfalls, except that it has melody to it. These creatures cannot do anything but sing. Can you imagine billions and billions and billions of these creatures surrounding a throne? And there is a barrier between them and the throne. But around the throne, John says, it's like a sea, it's a, but it's like a sea of glass. Then it, 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 and, and, and I, for ministry purposes and for preparation for this message, I bought the movie Man of Steel. <clears throat> and I was fascinated as I watched... The, the director talk about we had to figure out if you came from another planet and you landed on earth how would you quickly adjust to the atmosphere of earth and he said you couldn't have a mask because that's just old technology and they said what we figured out was you'd have an energy field that would ionize the air into your air and so if you ever get to watch man of steel you'll see they wear these 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 things and it looks like a, a clear plastic thing but it's it's energy it's power and it's doing the work of of protecting their face and, and making the air breathable. And as I, as I heard him say, I said, that's, that's, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that's similar to what Ezekiel saw. He doesn't know how to describe it. It's sheer power. And around the presence of God, there is this like glass, glass, John says. It's like glass. I, I don't know what it was, but it's like an ocean of clear something. And you can imagine the power of God that now these modern sci-fi people with all their computer technology are able to put onto a screen and show us this is what it might look like and here's ezekiel getting a glimpse of these four guys there's these at least four guys that are called cherubs and in hebrew you don't put an s on the end you put im on the end so they're called cherubim and here they are. And these are the four guys. The guys. This is like the secret service turning up. The, 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 the secret service of the, the president of the United States. They have one job. The secret service in America have one job. That is to guard the president of the United States. And these cherubim have one job. To guard the very throne of God. Does God need guarding? Of course not. But it's a statement. <laughs> It's a statement because if you look at these guys and how powerful they are, you've got to ask the question, if God is more powerful, whoa, how powerful is he? And here you have these cherubs, the cherubim. They're described as having an energy field around them. And I'm going to use the word energy field. That's sci-fi language, I know. Ezekiel, he doesn't know how to describe it. He says, 
it, it is as it were, <laughs> like, like a wheel that was all around them. But inside the wheel was another wheel that was also all around them. And he said, no matter which way they looked at me, no matter which way I looked at them, no matter where they moved, and it said they could dart. They could move at the speed of light almost. They could dart, he says. They, they're here, they're here, they're here, they're here. And every time the word of the Lord spoke, they gave attention to it. And he says, we read here, that these creatures inside this wheel in a wheel, this energy force, were, whenever he looked at them, they were always looking back at him. They never had to turn their heads. In fact, it says, and I've got it highlighted here because it's staggering. It says in verse 9, whenever they moved, they never turned. And there's, there's a marvelous picture here we'll see in a minute. That when you're always focused on God, you never turn. It's never like God's gone there and you've gone, oh, sorry. <laughs> These creatures never turn. They are the personification of ultimate servanthood. Because they are always focused on God. And here's Ezekiel seeing what Steven Spielberg would give his Academy Awards to see at a time when Israel had completely lost sight of what it meant to be spiritual and what it meant to be a godly leader. This is what he said, starting from verse 4. As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, a great cloud with brightness around it. Remember these creatures? They emanate light. And fire flashing. Fire flashing speaks of judgment in Scripture. And in the midst of the fire, it was as it were. He's struggling for words. Gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human face. Hmm. They had a human likeness. But each had four faces. And each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot. Very symbolic. And they sparkled like burnished bronze. He's putting the only metaphor he's got to this. He could have said it's like those people out of Man of Steel. Or episode three of Star Wars. But he didn't have that frame of reference. Come on, work with me. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands. And, their, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. They were in union with each other. Each of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side. The four had the face of an ox on the left side. And the four had the face of an eagle. Wow. We see from Scripture that the closer you get to the presence of God, as those rare glimpses in Scripture tell us, that the creatures we call angels, which is simply the Greek word angelos, we just don't know what to do with it, so we just make take that sound and create an English word called angels, the closer you get to the presence of God, the bigger these guys get. 
how big were cherubs? I mean, if you saw a manifestation of a cherub, you're probably looking at a creature five meters tall. Take a stab, five meters tall. They're not the biggest creatures either, by the way. There's one higher angelic being. And there's only two of them, and they never leave heaven. Never leave heaven. They're called the seraphim. You can read about those in Isaiah 6. And these, cherub, these cherubs, yeah, they've just been described to us. You've got to think, you're seeing this. You're seeing, that's energy field. I thought that was a didgeridoo. No, that's energy field. <laughs> you're seeing these creatures, and they are connected. They move in union. They never turn. They've got around them. Would you, I mean, that's not a bad replacement for ordination. Seeing this, not a bad swap. And Ezekiel is just being privileged to get one of the two glimpses that are recorded in Scripture. The other one's in Revelation. He's, he's, only the, he's the first man to see this. What's really going on? It's as if God peels back the curtain of this temporal reality to show us ultimate reality and this is what he sees it's one of the most dramatic visions of cherubim recorded in scripture these cherubims the guardian angels to the throne of god and each of them have those four faces and these are the ultimate leader angels these these are the leaders in heaven the, these creatures, uh, they're the closest creatures to the throne and they, they bear the closest resemblance to Christ. How is, how is this? Because you see, Jesus Christ is described in the Gospel of Matthew, four Gospels. Matthew as the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the king of the Jews. He's the king of kings. Jesus Christ is described in the Gospel of Mark as the worker, the ox, the one who would ultimately be sacrificed. Before he did, he bears the burdens of all mankind. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus Christ is described as the man, the man who had compassion on people. In the Gospel of John, Jesus Christ is described as being like the eagle, the one who is divine, the one who is connected to God. That makes Jesus Christ the ultimate leader. The ultimate leader. In your quiet time, some point today, you really need a fresh revelation that Jesus Christ is the greatest military leader, the greatest political leader, the greatest civic leader, the greatest leader in all of history, and he is more than qualified to lead your life. No matter what mess you've got yourself into, Jesus Christ can lead you out of it. Because he is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And this is... The opening scene to the book of Ezekiel. The leaders had lost sight of what godly leadership was, but God gave Ezekiel some dramatic and vivid visions of cherubim with significant implications for godly leaders. Dr. Corbett continues with Ezekiel next week. This series, Ezekiel the Prophet in Exile, an adjunct to our exploration of Jeremiah. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, An Introduction to Ezekiel, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com/slash Finding Truth Matters. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of the Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.